1: It's still mind-boggling to consider that he is not around. Yeah. Like, it's still shocking.
2: Yeah, but you know what? That class of 2020, just how they all embraced that moment, it, yeah. was, it was one for the ages.
1: The WNBA season opens, and the NBA playoffs begin. The play-in games start this week, and the big headline... It's my Knicks for Renee's Hawks, plus StockX founder and former CEO Josh Luber joins us in our new game, Sticker Shock debuts. It's Takeline right now. I'm Jason Concepcion.
2: I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go!
1: We didn't want it to happen, but it has happened. The NBA playoffs are set to start. The play-in games will start this week. We'll talk about that in a second, but first we got to talk about the thing that has happened that we were hoping would not happen. (laughs) It's Knicks-Hawks in the playoffs. No! Renee, we got to talk about it. We have to talk about Um. it now. What do you... uh, Man, first of all, you know, as a Knicks fan, I'm incredibly excited. The fact that we have home court, it's been eight years since we've been in the playoffs. The fact that it's against the Hawks uh, is is bittersweet, but it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. What are your thoughts about this matchup? I won't ask you your prediction, but what do you think the key (laughs) takeaways from this matchup are going to be?
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting that it's the Hawks versus the Knicks because we're so similar in so many ways. I think that's kind of, yeah. as we were watching week to week, it was like, oh, how are y'all doing? Y'all are still doing good. We yeah. are too. And then for it to fall, number four versus five, in the playoffs to match up, it is bittersweet because I didn't want to meet you guys yet because if we didn't want to beat you guys yet, okay? If we wanted that for the... <laughs> yeah. We wanted that for the second round. But no, for me, I think a big part of it is going to be the home games. I mean, the Hawks have won 11 consecutive home games. We're playing well at home, but for us, getting healthy. So I think that, you know, a lot of people, if you're looking at what happened in the regular season, I think that you should not count that because we got swept by the Knicks. I know we got swept, but even as a team, like when I was a player, if a team swept us or or if I was the team that swept somebody, I was scared going into the playoffs because do you know how hard it is to beat a team seven times? Like, that's, that's really yeah. hard. And so the Knicks have already beat us three times, and it's just in sports for whatever reason. The more you play somebody, the more familiar you get. So I don't know. I just think that it's going to come down to shot making. I mean, the Knicks have been crazy hot. And when very, the very Hawks are hot. hot, it's gonna be a shootout. Like I just I'm excited. I, like while it's bittersweet, I'm so excited.
1: I uh so you mentioned the Knicks uh have beaten the Hawks three times this season. I will say as a caveat, couple of things about that number. First of all, first two wins took place. Uh, before the switchover from uh, from Nate McMillan to Nate McMillan yep. as the coach coming over from Indiana. After Nate McMillan, the Hawks went 27-11. They were floundering in the East before that. Um, so different team than those first two wins. The third win, you know, Trey tweaked his ankle in the middle of the game. Yep. So there's other factors about those wins. That said, uh, Julius Randle has absolutely eaten against the hawks this season he's yep he's been massive. I think it'll come down to the bench I, I you know the hawks offensively are just unbelievable when they're when they're going. Trey is magnificent both as a shot creator a shot maker and a playmaker Ugh, Bogdanovich has been He's having like the greatest year of his career. He has been so important to that team as a secondary ball handler, as the guy who keeps them running when Trey is on the bench. That's really where they make a lot of their, hey, they they very quietly kill you with those bench lineups. Uh, And so it's going to be about, can the Knicks defense slow those guys enough Gallinari's hitting like 46% of their threes. Can we slow them enough and can the Knicks score enough? You mentioned the Knicks uh, offense. The Knicks net rating since March, they've been like the number 3 or 4 team in the league into They've been really good offensively because of the emergence of Derrick Rose and of and of Reggie Bullock just catching fire. I don't know how much to depend on those things going into the playoffs. You have to. Those, that's how you if, got there. That's how we got there. But if but if Reggie and Derek continue to play like that, I like our chances. Uh, uh, and then it becomes a question of can we slow Trey enough? Can we slow uh, Bogdanovich enough?
2: Yeah, and to that point, you guys are third in three-point shooting at 39%. And, like, you know— Julius Randle, you talked about he's been a monster against us. There's no denying it. He's making threes. I think a lot of people before this season, you know, when you look at Julius Randle, you can tell that he is just a great player and you could tell that his potential, his ceiling is so high. But when he came into this season, this year, and was making three pointers at the clip he's making it, like he's not even just making like the trail three where you just stand there and you're wide open. I mean, against us, he made seven. Yeah, Yeah, I think he made seven threes against us. I'm like, okay, what? Like, you expect him to play bully ball, get to the paint, like, just get you out the way, get in the weight room type of moves. He's doing threes, fading away from the corner. This is a Julius Randle that pretty much... He's unstopp. If, if he shoots like that, he's pretty much unstoppable.
1: Yeah. So here's his uh, year by year three point percentage 2015, uh, basically, he was injured. Uh, 2016, 28%. 2017, 27%. 2018, 22%. Uh-huh. 2019, 34%. 2020, 28%. Now he's shooting
2: 41%. And okay just so and people can
1: understand. I mean, that's a leap that really doesn't happen at age 26, but it and I to be honest with you, uh, you know, as the season was progressing, I'm like, okay, he's hot. Okay, you know, he's in it. He's just in a groove. We'll see what happens. He's taken so many threes that I think it's real at this point. You know, like you yeah, mentioned no, the seven I threes mean, against we you. Have to believe Like it. he's hitting them in no, no, people no. Yeah, he's hitting them like high degree of difficulty like it, it against double teams now.
2: And, and I want to say something because, yes, we have to believe it. Like, that's that's a part of players developing their game. A lot of people wanted a player like Blake Griffin to do that exact thing where you're already so athletic. Can you add that shooting to your game? We have to believe it. And, and here's an, a, another thing. Everyone that talks about him says he's one of the hardest workers on the team. Like, he's in mm-hmm. the gym. He's getting shots up. So I believe it just for the fact that he worked hard to get there. That doesn't happen. Like, you don't make a jump from 20% to 40% yeah, that's without crazy. putting some crazy number hours in the gym. So kudos to him, most improved player.
1: Now the backcourt is going to be a real, a, a real question mark. Because the Knicks start Alfred Payton, who I think is probably at his worst stretch, of the season over the last few weeks. And whoever is going to be that starting point guard is going to have to match up with Trey Young, who is like lighting it up basically from everywhere. Uh, Only shooting 34% from three, but like the volume at which he shoots, it's like Harden. He's just gonna end up crushing you because of the amount he shoots. And then he's shooting 89% from the line and he's killing you from the mid-range.
2: And you have to remember, so I just read something that Chris Paul, he was like five shots away from being a part of the 40-50-90 club. And when they broke it down... The point guards, and this I used to say this all the time, it's tough for point guards because we're the ones at the end of the shot clock that typically have to heave. Like, we're doing those last-second heave. We're doing those half-court heaves. We're doing those get the ball in your point guard's hand at the end of the possession and make something happen. So when you look at percentages and, and different players, with point guards, you always have to put a little asterisk there because they're the ones that have to take a lot of bad shots.
1: That's a great point because look at the people around Trey. Uh, Gallinari, I mentioned forty six percent. Bogdanovich, forty five and a half percent. Tony Snell is a part
2: of the fifty fifty one hundred I mean, club. Lou Williams, forty four percent one hundred.
1: So the Knicks, one of the uh, one of the storylines of the season has been the Knicks outperforming uh their opponents' th- three point percentage. Their defense is going to be really be tested against all the shooters the Hawks have. Uh, because that is a ton of shooters. We have Reggie Bullock, we have Alec Burks. Um RJ Barrett has been has been really shooting it well in stretches, but the guys you have are just like lights out shooters. So that's going to be a but, real test. But
2: but our health has been yeah, a concern a all season long. All season. The exciting part is that we had a lot of players that were just straight up out and not available. Now we have a lot of players that are day to day, which like you know Red Velvet, Kevin Herder, yeah. uh, Gallo, um, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn is day to day. Clint Capella, Bogey yeah. is day to day. So, and the scariest thing about our team is we actually haven't played at full strength yeah. at all all season. Like we we just haven't had it. Like if we get two players back, oh no, here goes another two. That's out. And so. I think it's exciting for us as a team because we haven't had that. But it's also scary because if somebody's day to day, you you could easily not have them available for a game.
1: Yeah. And then De- DeAndre Hunter is coming back and it's like, yep. congratulations, you're healthy. Uh, now you have to check Julius Randle. Julius Randle! to figure Randall. out what to do about that. I hesitate to ask. I know what you're going to say. I don't take it personally. Yeah. You have a prediction for us.
2: I do. I think I mean this is not a a bold prediction. I just think Hawks and seven. I think that we're gonna battle it out. I don't think that either team is better enough than the other team to It's gonna be con-
1: it's gonna be a battle like that.
2: Yeah, I, I just think every game is gonna be exciting. I don't know what happens. Like, what if Julius Randle goes for fifty, a fifty piece nugget one game? Well then you might win that. But what if Trey Young goes for fifty the next we might so I'm excited to see like what is gonna happen, but I don't think anything crazy Hawks and seven. Uh what about you? What are you thinking?
1: I, listen, I think it's also going to be a 7-game series. You know, the thing that I'm excited for and again, it's been such a long time since the Knicks have been in the playoffs. Uh the the thing that I'm that I'm interested to see is how experience will play into the the, the Knicks are somewhat more experienced than the Hawks, but both of these teams are are relative newcomers yeah. to playoff intensity. And with playoff intensity, There's always that X factor player who when the opposing team takes the first option away and then takes the second option away,
2: shows up and gives you
1: 15, 16, 18 points out of nowhere. Who's that going to be for both teams?
2: 100% that's what wins championships. You know, on the NBA on TNT, they got a bad rap for it like eight years ago when they started to call them the others, right? And so it's like your superstars that you know are going to get X amount of points, X amount of rebounds, what are the others going to do? Well, I've been a part of the others before in Minnesota where we won two of my championships. I don't take offense to that. It was lit where everyone was scouting for Simone Augustus and Sylvia Fowles and Maya Moore. And then here comes our bench mob and we're like doing numbers. I think that's lit and you're absolutely right. That's what it's gonna come down to. Let me just first say Nixon
1: Seven. I think that home court will play a play a crucial role. You yeah. mentioned the Hawks have been really uh have put up a fortress in Atlanta. I think the four games at Madison Square Garden will play a role.
2: Okay. No, that's 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 very valid. All right. So let me ask you about some of these these playing games that are happening. I'm excited. I
1: can't wait for the play-ins.
2: Me too. It's like I'm get so your excited. popcorn, baby. All I right, can't listen. wait. Number eight Wizards at number seven Celtics. May 18th, <sighs> 9 p.m. Who do you have?
1: I have not been this excited for <laughs> uh, to root for a wizard since like Harry Potter I can't. versus Draco Malfoy. <laughs> The Wizards, it's been an incredible turnaround story for them. Uh, Health obviously played a huge role. They were devastated by COVID. Uh, Russell Westbrook had it, was suffering the symptoms from it. He also had the torn quad, played his way back into health, and all of a sudden, here he is again, averaging a triple-double, breaking the record for triple-double set by Oscar Robinson.
2: 182 Uh, to be exact, so people know. Well, he's past that now. He got one last night. So and then you
1: have the and then you have the Celtics who are really one of the disappointments of the season. I love to see it. I love the fact that it is a Celtics loss that clinched the playoffs for the Knicks. Oh man, I am really rooting for the Wizards in this because uh, for various reasons. I love Beal. He's obviously uh, the status of his hamstring is a huge question mark. Yeah. He, he was in and out of the Wizards final game plate he started but then had to be pulled and then ended up playing but you could see him favoring it is he going to be healthy is he good to go on Tuesday um uh and then of course the Celtics no Jalen Brown yeah the, the, the myriad issues that they've had I'm rooting for the Wizards I'd love to see them do it it'd be a great story for them although I know many of my Wizards fans Hope that that doesn't save Scott Brooks's job. Well, uh, what do you I, What do you think about this? Do you have any uh, Do you have any predictions for this matchup?
2: Well, you know, so my partners in crime and my partners in business, Northland, they're like Celtics fans. So shouts to Suzanne A. Bear and Larry G. They're the people that I went in with. They're the other owners of the Atlanta Dream. They're like Celtics fans. So I feel kind of bad saying that I think the Wizards are going to win. And the reason that I say that is the Celtics like. It's how you are playing, and I just feel like the Celtics are just not playing good basketball. Zero
1: momentum, right? No momentum. It's like a bad team.
2: Yeah, it just they have no momentum, and then when you get the blow of one of your best players getting hurt, that just sucks the life out of you. Meanwhile, on the Wizards side, like you said, Russell Westbrook is getting awards for breaking historic records, so that adds to their momentum. So, yeah, I gotta just, I would just say. It's the Wizards, even though I'm sorry, Larry and Suzanne, the Celtics just aren't looking good. Maybe next time. What are you thinking about? Number 10 Hornets at number nine Pacers. That's also happening May 18th, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. What are your thoughts on that? Oh,
1: wow. This is going to be, uh, so this is going to be fun. Of course, the 10-9 is single elimination. Whoever loses this is out. Yeah. Um. I'm going for the Hornets. There's just a lot of bad vibes around the Pacers in the in the back half of the season, feuding with the, with Coach Nate Bjorkren. Yep. Um, you know, strange lineups, uh, guys seeming out of sorts. And I just think that Terry Rozier has been one of the hottest players in the NBA. Uh, I'm going with the Hornets. I'm going with the Hornets in this matchup. What about you?
2: I really wanted to go opposite of what you were saying, but these are kind of like ones where if, if, if you're watching the NBA, there's certain picks that you're just going to make. Even the Hornets where they got uh, LaMelo Ball back. And he yeah. came back and was throwing the most ridiculous passes as if he was never out. And I'm <laughs> telling you, stuff like that, plays like that, highlight reels like that, that gives so much to a team. And so that team has so much life and energy. Scary Terry, as you talked about, He's killing it and I you know he was one of those players that I believe was killing it before he got to the Hornets and now he's continuing that play so yeah it looks like it, it looks like the Hornets would have it just because again momentum none for the Pacers now on the western conference side we have number 8 this is the one is right huge. here this is huge this is this the is, one number the 8 one. Warriors at number seven, Lakers is happening on May 19th, 10 p.m. on ESPN. Who do you have on this one?
1: I think the Lakers should romp in this if they're healthy. LeBron plus ED. The um, they were the best defense in the league for much of the season. I think that should hold... there's a world in which you could argue that the time without those two players actually solidified the chemistry of of that group without the stars. Like, Kuzma has really blossomed in this time. I think the Lakers should win and win by, like, double digits. That said, do not wake up Steph Curry. Do not make that man mad. Like, whatever, I think it was very smart that LeBron came out and said, Steph Curry's our MVP the other night.
2: Yeah, you don't, don't want poke a bear. Bull- don't poke <laughs> a bear. You gotta like pu- pat the ego. I'm not. I mean, I don't yeah. think they would be as much as scared of Draymond Green, but this one is so tricky because in a world where Steph Curry could easily be, um, and, and shouts to the the human highlight reel before him, okay, Dominique Wilkins. But in a in a world where Steph Curry really is a human highlight reel right now, it's it's yeah. scary because. Some things you can't guard. Like, I I watched Steph Curry when they were triple teaming him. He just takes a step further back and shoots a deeper three. So what do you do at that point? Oh, I'm really torn on this one. I I really am. I mean, I I don't even. I mean, the thing is, can he play 40
1: minutes? Because when he sits.
2: Yeah, it's scary.
1: Offensively, the offense is is gone it's a one-man band essentially it,
2: he's the Everything human highlight reel for the him. whole team and so that's, he's yeah. he's gonna have
1: to play like 38 to 40 minutes like i hate he's that we have all the, the
2: same, same answers i'm trying to like talk myself into saying the warriors <laughs> but it's the lakers they're the better team and i'm just talking team wise top to bottom talent yeah. and top to bottom skill set it's the lakers what about this one this one's interesting i don't know if a lot of people are really like, get your popcorn out for this one. But this one is interesting. Number 10 Spurs at number nine Grizzlies. It's happening on May 19th, ESPN, 7.30 p.m. What are your thoughts on that one? Because it's not as flashy as the Warriors it's versus not Lakers. As flashy. But John Morant has made it known that he feels that he's a top five point guard in the league. And that's just that on that.
1: Well, time to, time to back it up. Uh, the Grizzlies are one of the best defensive teams in the league. The, the offense is middling. It's, I want to pick them. I'm going to pick them. Okay. With, while also saying that man, Greg Popovich scares me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I've just seen it too many times with him and with that team. It's just incredibly hard to pick against them. The fact that they're even here in this conversation is, is a credit to like the culture that he's built. Yeah. I just think Memphis is more talented, and they should win. Okay, um, I'm going with the
2: Spurs. This is the first okay. one. This is finally I like because I'm not going to make a bad prediction just to make a different prediction. But this one, I feel like is a real toss up. Number ten, Spurs. I just their systems, and the Spurs yeah. system is made for playoffs. He knows how to prepare for the playoffs. They know how to take away your best things in the playoffs. So, they John really Morant. Do. Whatever he's doing, you can bet your bottom dollar that right now Pop and his whole coaching staff are game planning on how to not let the Grizzlies do what they like to do. And they're led by a younger group. So for me, I think the Spurs will be able to, just out of sheer experience of how to shut down what people like to do. We've seen them do that. Um, I'm going to go with the Spurs for this one.
1: Yeah, you know, Ja is, uh, he is a slasher. He's only a 30% three-point shooter he's going to see a wall of bodies in front of him and pop is going to ask the rest of the grizzlies to do something but i'm going to pick job because he made that big statement and i want to see him back it up (laughs) okay
0: hear that
2: Okay, so Jason, as you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony for the 2020 class happened over this weekend. It was delayed a year due to COVID, but the big story, obviously, was the enshrinement of Kobe Bryant after he passed away last year. The class was led by legends like Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. Shouts to Tamika Catchings, that's my dog! But what are your thoughts of this class? And and before you say that, the speeches, I mean, Tamika Catchings' speech unbelievable talking about, you know, basketball shows her Vanessa Bryant speech talking about how he would have been so proud to have Michael Jordan, oh, his childhood idol. I mean, even her strength. Like, what were your thoughts on this 2020 class?
1: First of all, just made me feel old. <laughs> but the other thing is that uh, yes. I think just one of the most talented classes ever, like Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, there are two of the best players two-way players ever, like guys who really changed uh, the positions that they played. Uh, and then you have Tamika Catchings, who it, not just a pioneer, but an inspiration for people who have uh, hearing disabilities, the way she has overcome that in her life. Yeah. And, and uh, to become the player that she has been uh, is actually amazing. There was a really great article on her written in the New York Times talking about her ability to, to um, overcome her hearing disability as something like her superpower. She was able to develop these other parts of her perceptions to become just like a better and, and let me interrupt on you. the court.
2: She became a superhero for real. I played against yeah. her. Some of the stuff that she does is absolutely ridiculous. And I think that players like that Obviously, she's a Hall of Famer. But when you just look at her career and the things that she's done and how she maximized her potential, this class is an example of people pretty much that maximize their potential. Yeah.
1: Vanessa's speech was really it was obviously extremely heartfelt and uh, extremely bittersweet. I think that the thing that struck me was that it was her speaking directly to Kobe. Like, yeah. that's what it was. You know, she even said, like, I, I, you know, if he was here, he would he would thank, uh, his opponents and he would thank his mentors, but I'm going to thank you. And then it it was really like a, uh, I don't want to say closure, but it was a, it was a extremely personal and, and intimate uh, dialogue from Vanessa to Kobe. And that was what really hit me. That was really amazing. The strength that she displayed
2: uh,
1: in over the course of that speech.
3: Congratulations, baby. All of your hard work and sacrifices paid off. You once told me, if you're going to bet on someone, bet on yourself. I'm glad you bet on yourself, you overachiever. You did it. You're in the Hall of Fame now. You're a true champ. You're not just an MVP. You're an all-time great. I'm so proud of you. I love you forever and
2: always. Kobe Bean Bryant. And it almost felt, it felt so intimate that it was like, not that you felt awkward watching, but it was like, wow, this is really a moment. It was like the way that she was talking, you could feel that that's how they talk to each other. Even when she would like making jokes, it was like this intimate conversation, this insider conversation that she was having with him. And we were all just blessed to witness it.
1: I thought back to uh, uh, the first Kobe Shaq Lakers championship uh, in 2000, where they break through Kobe was like, I want to say 19 or 20 at the time, because I was an anti Laker at that time, pretty fervently, like, I didn't want (laughs) to see him win, they won so many, like, I get it, I want to see the Knicks win one. And I just remember thinking, watching that series being like, man, I'm gonna have to watch this guy for 15 years years maybe yeah 10 15 years like he's how old is he 19 20 like
2: fresh out of high school
1: i'm just gonna have to watch this like literally heir of jordan (laughs) kill teams for a decade plus so it's it's really it's it's still mind-boggling to consider that he is not around yeah like it's still shocking
2: yeah but you know what that class of 2020 just how they all embraced that moment. It yes. was it was one for the ages. And you know, the twenty twenty one Hall of Fame class was announced, led by Chris Weber, Chris long Walsh, time coming. Paul Pierce, yeah, long time, long time coming for Chris Weber. Uh Paul Pierce, Ben Wallace. Uh, Jay Wright, Bill Russell as a coach, Yolanda Griffith, Lauren Jackson, Australian legend that killed it in the league. Tony Kukoc. So the new class has been announced, but man, it it seems like it's going to be hard to top
1: 2020. Uh, That's a that's a really, really interesting and fun lineup for 2021. Uh, speaking of great moments, so it was the WNBA uh, opening weekend this past weekend. Shouts to my New York Liberty uh, have already matched their win total uh, from the previous season. Okay, Sabrina Liberty. Is, Sabrina is the real shit. Holy cow! Um, but it was your first WNBA opening weekend as an owner. Yep. Let's take a listen to this first.
2: Last February, as we all know, the Atlanta Dream and the WNBA approved the sale of the Dream to Larry Godsteiner, Suzanne A. Bear, and a familiar name to Dream fans, Renee Montgomery. Yeah, two-time champion, an all-star, and formerly with the Atlanta Dream, so she's no stranger to this organization. But now this adds player perspective to the executive office. She knows this team. She's sued up with this team. She knows what exactly what they want and need. So now this just adds a voice into the room that decisions are being made. And, hey, it's Renee Montgomery. She's very passionate and very energetic, with everything that she does, so expected her to just come in and make an immediate impact, and I'm excited to see her expand in this role. That
1: was broadcasters Tabitha Turner and Autumn Johnson leading into the start of the Atlanta Dream's first game of the season, talking about our co-host Renee Montgomery. Renee, uh, we've had you give us some exclusive insight into being a WNBA owner. You've had the experience of playing in your first WNBA game, but give us give us the inside scoop. What was it like Friday leading up to the start of your very first season as an owner?
2: Oh, man, it was crazy. Um, It was crazy because... I remember that Northland's logo got laid down, I think, late the night before. So I'm like, okay, bomb. The court is ready to go. And then I remember we had some situation with the tickets because right now it's we have COVID protocols. So you can yeah. only have a certain percentage of your tickets available. We had 600 tickets. That's it. Like That was available to the fans because our arena is a smaller arena. Uh, so I remember we're trying to do the ticket shuffle. The players need tickets. Uh, this is all this stuff that's going into the game. I know the players are worried about the game, but we're on the back end. We have agents hitting us up like, "Yo, can you get us some?" What's tickets? your
1: phone? Yeah, what is your phone like at this time? Do you just have to oh, turn it off? Like, can gosh. you even do anything with it?
2: I can't turn it off, but it's crazy. I mean, my phone. Even since we've been on, like you know, it takes us an hour and a half to record this. I probably have like ten missed calls. Throughout that point, just because things happen, you know, we're trying to figure out Dactronics and the graphics. One of the graphics were wrong and, you know, marketing and community are the two things that I cover. So when we're talking about graphics and branding. That's like literally my job that I'm heading up. So, you know, it was it was exciting, though. I like the fast pace of trying to problem solve in a hurry. Our intro video came out. We had a poet that gave spoken word, Ashley Hayes, and it was very powerful. We we announced our hashtag, which is do it for the dream. And, and it just, it was this powerful moment where the internet recognized that, oh, wow, the Atlanta dream is doing something different. And the thing that we're doing different, Autumn Johnson, Tabitha Turner talked about it, our yeah. all black women led female broadcast team, like Autumn Johnson, Tabitha Turner, LaChina Robinson, Angel Grey you don't see that very often, but we're trying to normalize things that you don't see. The WNBA is comprised of eighty percent minority women, so why would the broadcasting not be a representation of what our league looked like? Why would the vendors not look like that? You know, we're hiring out pop and creative, and why wouldn't why wouldn't our intro video lean into the culture here in Atlanta and lean into the community? So, man, I don't know. I was just excited to see that. People are recognizing that we're just trying to do things differently. We're trying to have that yeah. representation that should have already been here, but is here now.
1: Was there a moment this weekend where you were just able to like stop and take it in? Or was it just like go, 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 go?
2: Oh, man. It was go, 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 go. But my parents came in and this was crazy because my parents have pretty much been on house arrest since the pandemic (laughs) because, because they were just very safe and they're in that high risk age. So we basically told them, you know, you're on house arrest. So for me to even see them like having left West Virginia to come here to be at the game for. Obviously, this was a monumental time of my life and career. Like, yeah, I had that moment. You know, I was sitting there talking to Suzanne, and I was just like, this is kind of crazy that this is our team, you know? And so I think I have that moment every week. Sometimes every day when, like like I said, when my phone rings about stuff going on with a dream, I don't ever get that, oh, my phone's ringing. It's like, this is really crazy that they're calling me about this. Like, It's always still this, like, wow, like, okay, so I need to figure this out for the dream type situation. So yeah, I've been enjoying it.
1: That's awesome. Coming up next, Josh Luber. Joining us now is Josh Luber. He is the co-founder of StockX, the former CEO of StockX. He is currently the co host, along with Kevin Nagandi, of the somehow still untitled ESPN video series uh, (laughs) talking about trading cards. Uh, Please welcome to Takeline, Josh Luber. Josh, how are you?
0: I am unbelievable. Thank you very much for having me. I am only here so that you guys can help me come up with a name for our show. Thank
1: you. I mean, you guys, it's It's been weeks now. Like, it's (laughs) come on, you guys. Are you getting are you at least getting any any uh, good feedback like you uh, you're putting out calls to action to the audience? Are you getting any good ones back?
0: Yeah. No, look, there's a lot of good ones. I think we're a little bit um, in between. Kevin is so uh, in the ESPN uh, system uh, and is and is very respectful of that. And I come with these names that uh, are not. Um, and so, uh, we're just trying to land on something. Look, here's the thing. I want to take advantage of the ESPN brand, right? I want to make right. sure that like, Hey, this is an ESPN show while also not getting caught in the morass of all these different card shows out there that are all called, you know, uh, card talk and, and sports card nation. And like, you just get lost in all that. If you can't come up with a unique name of a show.
1: That's all. I, well, I, I pitched mine on our, when we have our Instagram chats on Friday nights, I pitched mine and I'll pitch it now. First break.
0: First break, not, bad,
2: not uh, bad. That's too close to first take, though. I, I know, just, but that's what
1: we're going for. Oh, yeah, you're right,
2: My first right. thought was first take, so I I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you what my personal uh, favorite is, and, and it's also uh, you'll understand why it may not make sense. I want to call it The Other Side of the Pillow. Because sports cards are cool again,
3: uh, right. Ooh, but yeah.
0: you know there's some sensitivity, you know, with, with Stuart Scott, and and I and I respect that, and so I, I I appreciate that. But I do think that there's something that like really fits in in that thing. So,
1: so uh, you mentioned that trading uh, trading cards are hot again. Trading culture, whether it be NFTs, uh, comics, sports cards, Pokemon cards, Magic cards, are uh, are booming in a in a fascinating and very aggressive way, certainly over the last couple of years, what is this, what's happening? Why is this happening? What is this due to, and what have the effects been?
0: We're all old enough to have money. We're we're all old enough to to, to spend our own money at this point. But it's gotta be
1: more (laughs) than that, right? I mean, people have, you know, people that were, that are older than us, that got old before us, why didn't it happen then? Why is it happening now? What is, you know, what is it?
0: Because they were the ones who told us we couldn't buy those things when we were a kid. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's our generation. You know, I'm 43 years old. I I say this all the time. I am just the kind of like every man for this. It was for sneakers. I grew up playing basketball when Jordan played. I always wanted Air Jordans. My mom would never buy me Air Jordans. As soon as I got my first job, I bought Jordans In, in trading cards. I collected cards in the 80s. Sports market crashed in the 90s. We all left our cards in our parents' basement. So it's something about this generation where we were the first ones to start to to expand the purview of those consumer goods. In you know, Nintendo came out when we were kids, and then yeah. look where video games have gone from that.
1: So I, I think you there's... can collect video games now, right?
0: What? No, it's a whole nother yeah, yeah. topic. <laughs> we're going to go too <laughs> far down that one, but. It, our whole generation is now of the age where we have a little bit more disposable money. We can go buy that Jordan Rookie we couldn't afford when we were 12. And you combine all these things with the the, the convergence of consumer goods and finance and collectibles and, and investments uh, all in this thing. So it's it's there's a perfect storm going on of, of all this happening. A lot of people will attribute some of this to the pandemic. And while it's true, some of us are, are at home and maybe have more time to, to spend online buying – this was going to happen this year anyway it, it, for it was trading
1: cards. That, it, it was trending that way for a, a year and a half before uh-huh, this, certainly.
0: Uh-huh. And, and crypto people will tell you the same thing about yeah. NFTs. And, and so I, I think it is like, it is just, we, we are of the age where we now say what's cool. We say what's a good investment. We, we are spending money for companies that are doing this. Um, and we're not embarrassed to go back and, and indulge in all the things that we liked as a kid.
2: No, I couldn't agree more. So I'm I'm having my NFTs come out this Friday on May 21st because, again, it's a wave where I, I watched Top Shot and what they did. And I'm like, man, these digital moments, I need to create my own. Do you think like the embrace of bigger name athletes and things like NFT have been a big reason why these collectors, you know, like these collectors items are so popular? Like, is it the big names into it? Is it like... What, what's the thing? Because I'm trying to make my NFT blow. So what do I need to know to make <laughs> yeah. my NFT go?
0: Well, look, you mentioned Top Shot. Phenomenal example of this perfect storm, right? The NBA is the NBA. And so when you have these products out there that are LeBron James and, and Zion and Katie and, and all, all of the biggest names in the world, um, that brings the spotlight to this and, and it helps all this go on. But at the core, like you creating NFTs is such a perfect example of saying, "Look, I'm going to take control of this part brand. of my brand, and yep. you're going to make it available to to the people that follow you." And that's exactly what like the internet has enabled all of us to do. I can go on eBay and I can go find the the Earthworm Jim you know action figure from the the Nintendo uh, Sega Genesis game that I loved when I was twelve. It's, it's about like that's what the internet has always promised and the nfts are now doing that in reverse where now you can do that and target this specific product to the people that most follow you so it's it really is the what the internet promised for us to be able to do
1: let's let's talk for a second about how you got here um your path from you know a finance uh, major person who worked at IBM to uh, pitching stockx to getting funding for stockx how did how did you how did you arrive at this place?
0: I'm a startup guy. Uh, I've always been a startup guy. But um, like most startup people, before you have a, a, some big success, you got to pay the bills. You take jobs in between. I had some corporate job in between every startup that I created. The last one was at IBM before you know creating StockX. But every single job that I had, I was always working on something on the side. There was always some, some side hustle um, because I think that's just you know, innate back to the same conversation around our generation. Today, kids are, are, are flipping sneakers or writing at apps or, or, or creating bots uh, or, or trading crypto and or, or trading on Robinhood. Back then, you either sold candy or you were trading baseball cards. Like that was the hustle when you were, you know, 10 in 1988. And a lot of us became entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, it's hard to find an American male uh, entrepreneur, business person who didn't, Buy and sell trading cards at some point when they were, you know, in in the same generation. So I, I, again, very much like every man for that generation, and and I was always just pushing on different business ideas. And I think it wasn't without some amount of irony that the one that became the most successful was the one where I finally merged the entrepreneurial side with my personal passion, uh, sneakers. I mean, when I was twelve, all I cared about were sneakers and baseball cards, and that's it. And I got to create one business, and now I'm in the middle of creating the other, and and like. I mean, you get it. When it's not a job, yeah. right? When that, that's the right. Yeah.
1: Do you have any expectation that StockX would blow up the way it did?
0: No, no, no. <laughs> no. I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody who creates companies on this scale could ever say that uh, with, with any amount of truthfulness. I mean, we had a pretty good thesis and we were basing this on the way the stock market works. And the stock market's been the most efficient form of commerce for 150 years. So it's a pretty good um, you know, hypothesis. But we still had to go create it, and we still had no idea that it would ever be this big. And by the way, I still think it's pretty early on in what it can be, um, given the the nature of this unique model to the things we've been talking about. So no, no, not not at all. But I mean, we were pretty bullish on the idea.
2: Well, you talked about like when you were younger, you were selling and trading sneakers. So I can imagine, and I'm looking behind you, I can imagine (laughs) that your sneaker collection is out of this world. So I want to know two things. One, what's the like most lit item that you own? Like it could be a card, sneaker or otherwise. And then secondly, what's one you want to get your hands on?
0: Mm. Well, I just think in the interest of um, not letting any medium go, Without a drop of it. Uh, my <laughs> most favorite uh, item of all is my Abraham Lincoln rookie card. Uh, what?
1: This blows me away every time I see it. I can't, what? I can't believe this. Uh,
0: it's it's probably only worth maybe I don't know a couple hundred dollars. But I, I you know I've been scouring the earth for for uh, non sport trading cards and, and I've been collecting a lot of like Jimi Hendrix and Bob Marley and Led wow. Zeppelin. And I found this set from like the 1860s of U.S. presidents. Uh, and uh, and it's a real card. It was it's it's graded by PSA. So I just think it's, it's unbelievable. And it talks to so much of all the, all, this whole conversation back in 1880, they were making trading cards of Abraham yes, Wilson,
2: crazy. Uh,
0: and, and all that. So that I love more than, than anything. Um, I mean, God, the list goes on and on in terms of pr- cards that I, that I wished I had. And, and every time there's a new auction and, and this is why I spent all my money on collectibles, but um, <laughs> it's been nice to, to, um, to move more of that money into trading cards that I feel more are an investment as opposed to sneakers that I feel are more of a passion project, right? I think that's the big distinction between is that every dollar I spent on a trading card, I feel is a good investment. Sneakers is just a personal, you know, passion and and something that I love.
1: You mentioned investing. And I think that that is, uh, that's a great, uh, it's a great thing to unpack with regards to this conversation. My own theory about why this is blowing up, uh, at this particular time is i think something of of what you said that you know this our generation has money now. I also think it's a way to participate in uh in the market right uh that's accessible to people. I think you know after the crash of two thousand eight and and uh, certainly in the intervening years, it's just seemed like the the stock market the the market writ large has been just impenetrable for regular people to get involved in. And now all of a sudden here's this thing where I know what it is. It's a, it's a card. It's got LeBron on it or it's got Michael Jordan on it or it's Pokemon. And I understand what that is because I grew up with it and it's starting to become valuable. So I can, I can really grasp the way the market works. And now I can take, I can take part in this, Buying and selling that goes on on the internet and in this like uh, you know this vast economy in a way that feels accessible to me. I think that that's part of it. Do, am I wrong about that?
0: I you're dead on, man. And you know even at StockX, we used to always say that the real utility that StockX provided to consumers was access. Now, obviously, I don't think sneakers are the same level of investment as these other products. But in all these cases, what you have are valuable consumer goods that are not easily accessible. As they become more accessible, they're wildly more easily to digest than stocks or bonds or or mutual funds or ETFs or all the places that you might invest money. So yeah, man, like, look, there's a lot you got to know about any market before you put money into it. Of course. But it's not that complicated to know that like, hey, I'm going to invest in Michael Jordan over whatever Alex Caruso,
1: right? Like, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah. No, so, <laughs>
2: like well, no. So I have a question about that, though, because, I mean, when we're talking about investments, how do you feel about signature shoes? Is that like, is it gone? Is that a thing of the past? Why aren't there more women's signature shoes? Like, what is what is that whole signature shoe world? Is there value even in that anymore, per se, for the buyer?
0: I, I think sneakers, more than anything, really is about about buying what you like and wearing what you like. And, you know, there's money to be made by flipping shoes. And obviously there's huge markets there that StockX has yeah. taken advantage of. Um, but sneakers aren't good long-term investments, no matter what it is, because sneakers are still just rubber and leather and glue and they will deteriorate um, the, I will say that in the last like year and a half, Nike has done a phenomenal job of creating more female shoes rather than just uh, sneakers for females. Um, and, so much so that some of those end up becoming the most valuable because some of them are super hot. And then the, the men's sizes of the female shoes become the most expensive because then you have this whole other market that's trying to get them. So you know, have <laughs> a women's size 12 or something. That's like a men's 10 and a half will somehow be like the most expensive size because of that. But that's a slightly different topic. I mean, I just think in, in general, like those that look at sneakers as a long-term investment is a, is a it's a tough play. It's a tough play.
1: So NBA planned about to start who, uh, has the most potential for value added in the NBA trading card market right now?
0: I think every non uh, Hall of Famer. So like we can basically segment all the current players into you know, your all time greats that are still playing. So LeBron, Katie, Steph, um, and, uh, and then everyone else. Um, and everybody else is in this category where the trading card, Prices used to be very reactive to the current market, Mm -hmm. to to game to game, right? Tatum would put up 60 like he did a couple weeks ago, and his cards would go through the roof. That's not happening anymore because the market has kind of leveled out and said, who of the current players are going to become all-time greats, or what is the chance of them becoming all-time greats? And so, man, if, if Giannis can win a championship... Like, you know, his cards fell through the floor after the way he, they, he exited the playoffs last year because they thought that he was he was destined for a championship. Um, a couple of the guys kind of in between, I think a lot of Harden's prices are uh, championship priced into it because of how well he was playing and then the possibility for the Nets. So some of those guys that are kind of mm-hmm. in between uh, the chance of becoming an all-time great, I think, are, are, are the ones um, and then also on the far other end is Zion, who's had an unbelievable year, and his car prices are exactly where they were uh, at at this time last year, which is a reflection of, I think, the risk inherent in just, you know, his body type and who he is about whether he can have a long enough career to become an all-time
1: great. Um, finally, uh, Renee mentioned her NFTs are, are dropping soon. Yeah. Stay with your head on a and, swivel and looking what, for those. What what,
0: what what platform? Where can we find them?
2: OpenSea. Nice. Okay, OpenC's I was, I was de- like, tell me, y'all gotta let me know. I was like, so that's a no, OpenSea is okay. one
0: of the, the leaders in, in NFT marketplaces, so that's great.
2: Perfect, perfect.
1: Um, recently, uh, the CryptoPunks, which is a collection of uh 10,000 uh digital characters that were initially created by Lava Labs for you know, like a mobile game project that they were going to make, but then they never ended up making. They went up for auction and sold for money that's like insane. Millions of dollars, (laughs) some of them, some of them, like the lowest is like 60 grand or something like that. You turn, you are the one who turned me on to uh, this information uh, recently. And the thing that, uh, that I've noticed about these, the CryptoPunks is uh, they're, Essentially the original NFTs, right? The yes. first kind of set of characters that are irreducible. They are non-fungible. There's no other ones like them anywhere else. There's a set of 10,000. And the thing about this is it, it, it seems to me that as the NFT market is, is evolving, there are some principles that are basically the same with the trading card market, which is first is better, right? Earliest is better. Rare and first are the best. Um, do you see any kind of like um, similarities in the way these markets are evolving?
0: Totally. I, you know, um, Bringing up CryptoPunks is, is a perfect part of this because NFTs in general, um, everybody is, is being exposed to them. Every, everybody is learning more about them. Um, and there's we have a long way to go in terms of how they shake out because there will be um, almost an infinite amount of NFTs put out into the world. It's kind of the nature of it that anybody yeah. that wants to can and so in terms of long-term investments, I think people are really trying to figure out which ones are going to be there. CryptoPunks were basically the OG NFTs. This is basically wow. like the rookie cards of NFTs, which I think, and I want to say it was Daryl Morey that maybe quoted that. I don't want to use someone else's, but I'm pretty sure he said these are like the, the rookie cards of NFTs. Um, and um, and so the, they're already so far priced out of, of whack, right? Yeah, uh, Compared like. So Christie's had this auction last week. There were nine NFTs that were being sold. It sold for almost $17 million. But really, it was about this one. <laughs> what? It was actually one of those nine that was an alien. And there's a very limited number of aliens. I think it's nine total aliens of the 10,000. And so that alien was basically sold for $16 million. Um, oh, my
2: gosh. You know, Josh, what are you talking about? Are you trying right. to tell me that at one alien sold for sixteen million? <laughs> sixteen million dollars.
0: Yeah, so well, just a level set. Like you know, I wouldn't expect that that you know your NFTs to sell for sixteen oh. million dollars. But I yeah, they do, got that
2: part, Josh. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but this is also like the equivalent of of like uh, you know, nineteen fifty two tops, Mickey Mantle or, or Michael Jordan yeah, rookie, right. or the, or the Mona Lisa, or like this is like you know the 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 original and so it it's showing as a collectible what these can be it doesn't mean that they are will be just like there's there's millions of, of cards and there's only one michael jordan rookie and only one you know honus wagner so really really fascinating um uh place to be to watch how nfts grow and then how other nft collectibles um uh also increase in value comparable to cryptopunks because i will think that that you will see a lot of IP created around them. You'll see products mm. created around them uh, mm. in, in the same way that uh, you know Michael Jordan has spawned uh, how many different brands, right? Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing.
2: I need you to I need you to when my my um, NFTs come out, you got to tell me like what you think about them. There's a there's some levels to it. We went kind of big with this, so it's my starting five. It's five monumental moments of my career, and so there's going to be some storytelling it's emotional but yeah let's I'm, I'm curious because it's like a science to you and this is blowing my mind like Josh this is, is the guy
0: it, this it is, crazy. is it is a science so you're yeah. right yeah it, it is a science and you know i'm sure that you didn't put out that content lightly. that you thought very well through like what you wanted to be on that starting five right and the more real it is and the more that that it matters to the creator the more that the people understand that right um Lit. you know People have put out a lot of crap as NFTs,
1: and yeah, and they I know will that's, that's what easy. I was
2: gonna say. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of right. not lit NFTs, and we were mm-hmm. trying to go. I mean, it's
1: like early crypto. You know, it's like the totally. first. Ev- you know, it's like you know, Dennis totally. Rodman had a coin. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. A thousand percent, right? It, it's it's yeah. the same thing as anything. It's supply and demand. So those things that are rare, there is a lot of demand for it, and you know the the crypto community has clearly identified crypto punks as being. High demand, and I Crazy. don't see that changing. I mean, sixteen million dollars for one NFT Crazy. is nuts. is nuts,
2: mind blowing. Well,
1: Josh, thank you so much. Uh, and Josh is sticking around for the debut of our new game, Sticker Shock. Be back in a minute. Welcome to the debut of Sticker Shock. I am Jason Concepcion, your host today on Sticker Shock. We have four beautiful contestants. First, she is the co-host of this podcast. She is the co-owner of the WNBA Atlanta Dream. Please welcome two-time WNBA champion Renee Montgomery. Renee, how are you?
2: What's up? What's up? I'm good, Jason. What's goodie?
1: Next, (laughs) she is a producer on this podcast, And she personally keeps all of Bravo's content afloat. She is Caroline Reston. Rest in peace, Caroline. How are you? Hey,
3: every quote constantly just in my mind, ready to go. (laughs) Uh,
1: Third, he is our guest today, co-founder of StockX and a trading card investor. Please welcome entrepreneur Josh Luber. Josh.
0: And sticker shock sounds like the title of my relationship with my wife. (laughs)
1: <laughs> believe me and finally your fourth contestant it is moi the number one host in your hearts at least and the king of Nick's nation it is me here are the ground rules of sticker shock folks our producer zuri zuri say hello
4: hey good to be here and i'm glad i'm not playing i cannot lose this game
1: Zuri is going to tell us about a collector's item that was recently sold on an online auction site. He will tell us the date. He will tell us the auction site. And we must guess the price without going over. Closest to the price gets a point. Everyone ready? Ready. God. First up is Caroline. And here is our item it is a 1990 fleer all-stars charles barkley psa 10 1990 fleer all-stars charles barkley card zuri tell us some more about this item
4: this was listed as one of 104 on ebay Uh, it's graded psa 10 psacard.com states that there were 61 sales of this card and um, also in the 1990 set included michael jordan and larry bird and sold on ebay may 9th 2021
3: Hmm. caroline how much is this card Okay, so Charles Barkley. It's from the '90s. It's vintage, which means it's probably worth a lot more. I'm going to say 120. No, no. I'm going to say 227. Wait, I can't do numbers. 227. Wait. Two two seven zero zero zero. What is
1: that? 227
3: dollars. 227 dollars. No, two hundred and twenty-seven thousand. Holy shit! That was a dream. I'm so My sorry.
1: <laughs> Christ. Two
3: hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars says Caroline Reston.
1: Uh, Josh Luber. Josh Luber. How much is this card?
0: All right. Uh, this is uh, a card that ordinarily would be in the junk wax era. Uh, it, however, happens to be a PSA ten, uh, and there is high premiums on PSA ten. So I'm going to say this card is eighty bucks.
1: Eighty dollars. Oh Vast my god! between those two guesses, Renee Montgomery. Renee, how much are you gonna say this card is? One hundred
2: and fifty k. Yes, Caroline. A $1, 150000 dollars. I don't, <laughs> don't have a reason why, <laughs> but Montgomery. I feel like Charles Barkley PSA ten. Does it matter? I should be asking Josh. Does it matter that he has a hit show and that his legacy is continuing on? I don't know, but I feel like that's gotta be one fifty. Um. Now it goes to me. I this is not
1: uh, Charles's rookie card, which I would imagine would be in the somewhere in the four uh, four figure range if it was a PSA ten, probably higher. I'm gonna say uh, Josh says eighty. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna give it fifty five dollars. Oh uh, wow,
2: and- he's he's still in Josh's thunders. What's happening? Right. At least uh. you have to say eighty one, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm not that type of person. Zuri, what's the
4: price? Uh, the correct price is $143.50. Josh Luber, you are a winner with a guess of $80. Oh, come on!
3: Congratulations, I was, Josh. Well, I could
4: afford this. I
1: Get in the there, Caroline, quick, if it's out there. Uh, Zuri, what's our next item?
4: Our next item, a pair of Nike SB Low Staple NYC Pigeons, size 9. Size wow. 9. These released February 22nd, 2005. Uh, they were sold on Stock X, November 24th, 2020. And these are okay. size 9 shoes.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, let's go in reverse order. That goes to me. I'm going to say these sold on Stock X for uh,
2: $89.99. Oh, my gosh. Uh,
1: Next, Renee.
2: Um, I'm going to go for $500, not K, just $500. I don't really, I need to do better.
1: <laughs> Joshua, <laughs> I don't know what
2: that is. Joshua, what do you got?
1: Well,
0: this is an all-time classic. Too. This kind of uh, oh, it is one man. of those one of those ones that that set the market for where it's at today. Caused riots in the streets of New York. Um, I'm going to say it's thirty-five hundred
1: dollars. Wow! Oh. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, Caroline, wow. rest in rest in peace. Uh, what do you got?
3: I'm alarmed that anything with a pigeon would be worth that much. But uh, okay, uh, I'm going to say. $2,500.
1: $2,500. Mm. Zuri, what do you have?
3: All right. Uh, Josh
4: is right. These shoes did stir a riot upon release, and the correct price is $18,000. So our what? second round winner, Josh Luber. What? Mm.
1: Right. Josh Luber, two points. Everyone else, zero. Zuri, what's our next item? All right.
2: Coming up this next. game is rigged. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> we do have an expert on the panel coming up next in 1957 game worn jersey of willie mays now this is the 1957 season this is the last season the giants played in new york before moving to san francisco in 1958 willie mays uh led the league in steals slugging percentage and triples in 1957 and it sold at Leland's auction in 2017
1: um okay uh caroline what do you got Holy shit. I have
3: no idea. Um, Okay. (laughs) I am going to say an insane number. Good. $1.2 (laughs) million. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. (laughs) Caroline, (laughs) 1.2 million?
1: It just seems like if
3: anything were a million dollars, it would be this. Josh Luber, what do you got?
1: What do you think? Willie Mays, 1957. Giants jersey. Last year, the Giants in New York. The Giants won the pennant. The
0: Giants won the pennant. Uh, so uh, somehow as a kid, I collected Willie Mays cards. I, um, I don't know how as a kid <laughs> I, I, I cared about Willie Mays as a, a 12-year-old kid um, in 1990. But I didn't collect jerseys. However, I got to say a, a jersey signed like this, not rookie
1: year, three grand? Oh, $3,000. <laughs> <laughs> Josh... Luber, Renee.
2: Well, I just want to say one thing real quick, Caroline. I've realized that the things that look like they would be the most and have seem <laughs> the like they have the most, in them,
3: even these trading cards. it's like
2: the things that would be the most are not the most. So, thank you, Josh, for a hint because I know he's somewhere around there. Um, I'm gonna go with twenty-one thousand. My number is twenty-one. So let's go twenty-one.
1: Twenty-one K. Renee Montgomery. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say Willie Mays, obviously a classic, a a legendary player, pioneering player. It's the last year of the Giants in New York. I am going to say $8,500. $8,500. Zuri, what's the price?
4: Correct price is $222,036. We have a new winner, round three, Renee Montgomery. Yes, let's go! Wow.
1: Score is two to one. Josh Luber, fourth and final round coming. Zuri, what's the item? Oh God! <laughs> oh
2: <right>. my
4: God! <laughs> I didn't looking that. Now is the last violin played on the Titanic. This <laughs> sold at Henry Aldridge and Son in twenty thirteen. I 2013. would pay
3: a hundred million dollars for this.
4: We have an early guess from Caroline. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought my guess. <laughs>
4: uh, this sold in twenty 23- thirteen. 18, and wow. apparently this was strapped to the back of English musician Wallace Hartley as the Titanic sank and um, the violin was given as a, as a gift to his fiance as an engagement gift um, Right
3: Wow And was it's believed it, to
4: be German and created around 1880 did, did he survive? He did not survive
3: This is going to make <laughs> me cry This is beautiful Could he not
1: get on the door with Rose? What was the issue? <laughs>
4: Well, I think he's just a musician's musician and wanted to die with his item. And again, this will uh, be 2013 at the Henry Alderson Son auction.
3: Okay, and was he wow. a part of the like string quartet who set, who played as the Titanic went down?
4: Correct. That is the uh, the assumption.
1: Okay, so uh, the Titanic uh, violin. Gosh, it's a historical item. It looks like they also have like a life vest or something from from the uh, from the Titanic in the background of it. I'm going to say I'm gonna say $850,000. Oh, my God. $850,000 for me. Next, Renee.
2: Oh, my goodness. Let's go. I mean, let me just stop at a milli. I just feel like um, if, someone didn't, if someone didn't pay a million dollars for this, they got it for a steal. This is, like, crazy.
1: A historical item of, of great value, Josh Luber, uh, violins. Titanic, ever heard of it? Uh, what is your
0: guess? Slightly outside my area of expertise, <laughs> but I'm gonna say this is here because it's some crazy number. So let's say ten million dollars.
2: Oh my gosh,
1: ten million dollars! What kind Uber? of sneakers
2: were they wearing on the Titanic, Josh? Yeah. Like what they was what? rocking all the time? I got no
1: idea. This this watch
0: this
3: ends up being like four hundred bucks. I don't
2: know.
1: <laughs> Caroline, uh, your guess.
3: Okay, ordinarily, anything that has to do with the Titanic actually is my area of expertise. Very few of them, but that is one of them. But for this, I'm going to guess $4 million.
2: Okay.
3: $4
1: million, says Caroline. Who will be near, far, closest to the price of the Titanic (laughs) violin, Zuri, tell us.
4: All right, correct price, $1.7 million, which means Renee Montgomery...
2: Yes! ...all around
4: for a winner, <laughs>
2: which means we have a tie. Let's go! <laughs> Don't and call it a go? comeback! I've been here for
1: years! You know what this means? That means, Renee and Josh, you will now square off in our tiebreaker round with one final item to decide the winner. Zuri, what is that item?
4: All right. I'm scared. Final item is a 1999 Pokemon PSA 10 base set first edition Charizard.
2: Now, this card card is part of the
4: 1999 first edition base set, and the Charizard maintains the highest hit points and an attack more powerful than any other card in the inaugural set. Um, The imagery is courtesy of Matsuhiro Arita, and this is one of 120 Charizard PSA 10s. And this item sold at iconic auctions in October 2020. Oh
2: my gosh.
1: Renee, your guess. The PSA 10 oh Charizard, gosh. Pokemon Charizard.
2: Okay, so I think I remember one of the Logan brothers even getting this tattoo of this Pokemon on him. He had like a suitcase full of money flying on a private jet to go get this card. I really think it's something like that. So, oh, I'm just going to go with 1.5 uh, million. I don't know. know 1.5 million for the
1: 1999 PSA 10 Pokemon Charizard. Josh Luer. For all the marbles, what is your guess?
0: So remind me, uh, you is it closest without going over?
1: <laughs> closest without going over.
0: One dollar.
2: <laughs> oh my god!
0: Here's the thing: this card uh, is about I want to say a six hundred thousand dollar card today um, in a PSA ten, but um, I think it has never reached one point five million. So I'm just gonna
4: take the W, oh, not worry about it. going over.
1: Zuri, what is the answer?
4: This card sold for 183812 eight hundred and twelve, uh which means Josh Liver, you are our winner. Oh
1: Josh Liber, congratulations. <laughs> Do you have anything to say? Your victory speech, sir.
0: Hey, sometimes you just gotta take the W. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Josh, thanks a lot.
0: Thank you all, Jason Renee. Appreciate it.
2: Alrighty, so now it's time for our buzzer beaters, just the Woo. topics that didn't make it into the show. And for me, we talked about it a little bit with Josh, but I have my very first starting five NFTs coming out. And the way the Crazy. reason we call them starting five is because yeah, it's the first it's the five monumental moments of my career to date. Um, everything is storytelling. So it goes to where there's five I've won five championships in my career. So we go back to high school and then we, you know, we tell a story with the rings, and then it goes to my opting out, my retirement moment, the moment where I broke the record in the WNBA for most threes and a half. We hit on those big, big moments. And, you know, we have international designers, like graphic designers that came through and, and drew things up. And so for instance, for people that don't know the NFT world, if there's like one of one, you can have one of one. Well, ours, like yes. for instance, for my jersey, we did one of 21 because my jersey's number 21. You know, some things we did one of one, some things we did one of 11 because I played in the WNBA 11 years. So I'm excited. This is a very different endeavor than I have ever done. I even remember texting you, Jason, and being like, how do I yeah. describe what an NFT is to people that don't know what an NFT <laughs> is? Like, I text Jason. I text you because I had to figure it out. Like, how can I break it down and water it down? So it's here. I'm excited.
1: Uh, when when are they dropping and where can they find it?
2: Yeah, it's dropping uh, May 21st. It's a Friday um, and it's on OpenSea. So that's just a place where it's regulated so that people know that they're paying their money to something legit and you're not going to get scammed. So yeah, May 21st, everything is about branding. So we picked the May 21 day for a reason. I'm number 21. So we're trying to make it, all be branded to a certain extent. Thank you for asking, Jason. What's up with you, though? I think you're going to address something that needs to be addressed right this now. This has to be
1: addressed. This has to be addressed. <laughs> Over the past several weeks, I and you, I know you also have been inundated with the DMs and tweets about whether or not Take Survivor is fixed. I can tell you that it is not <laughs> fixed. There is no
2: uh-huh. overarching...
1: uh Directive to fix Take Survivor. That being said, (laughs) there are certain structural flaws within Take Survivor that we are attempting to address uh, over the course of this podcast. Are you going to go into any detail? Well, one of the things we're talking about doing is increasing the the jury pool, so increasing the number of voters. Everybody who is on this Zoom when we record, including our engineer Sarah, um, will be able to vote. In the coming weeks, we're hoping that will help balance out some of the self-interest issues with uh, (laughs) the fact that contestants can vote. We're hoping that will help with it. Um, That is only one of our early reforms that we are putting in place. But I would just like to state for the record now, Mm -hmm. Take Survivor is not rigged. It has never been rigged. It will not be rigged was in the future. Was
2: it compromised? Listen, so I'm just going to put it out there. People write sure. me every single week, Jason. Sure. And they say, hey, are the guests just supposed to win? Like, you know, they asked me that the question. Case. And I had to tell them, you know what? That's a good question for Jason because I don't know. I've never,
1: just-
2: <laughs> I will say that I have never said, I have never said
1: the words, the guest must win. That oh. said, I think that there was some maybe some kind of like latent concern like what would the guests do if they did lose early maybe that concern was in the voting pool somehow and that has been addressed <laughs> and i don't think it'll be an issue going f- going uh, forward and i will say with the increased voting pool i think we will see a more fair and equitable take survivor as we move into the future. And that's it for us. This has been Take Line. Please follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to the Take Line show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Goodbye. Let's go! Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibb laska and the folks at Chapter Four. And our theme music is produced by Brian
4: Vasquez. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home.